Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you that you have given us your word. And we ask now that as we come to hear it and reflect on it, uh, that you would store up your words in our hearts, that we might not sin against you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some relationships that we enter into change us, don't they? Uh, One of my favourite movie scenes is from the movie The Matrix, the original version, not the new version. And Neo, uh, the main character's life is changed when he meets Morpheus. Uh, And Morpheus gives Neo an option. He can take the blue pill or the red pill. And if he takes the blue pill, I'm going to quote Morpheus here. He says, you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and you believe what you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. It's a choice to to give up on this relationship with Morpheus and just pretend that nothing is about to change. And if you've seen the movie The Matrix, lots of things change once he takes the red pill. But by taking the red pill, his world is going to change forever. The way in which he is going to see reality forever. The Christian life is kind of similar. When we know God, God reveals to us the truth. And the way that we see the world and the way that we live in the world is forever changed. There's no going back. Now last week we began looking at the letter of 1 John and we saw that the basis of our fellowship with God is the proclaimed message of Jesus. Uh, To know God, we need to respond to the message of the good news of Jesus. What we see in 1 John chapter 2 are some tests that we can apply to ourselves to see whether we truly know God or not. Uh, There are three tests we see in this chapter. The the late John Stott in his commentary called them the moral test, the social test, and the doctrinal test. And we're going to look at these tests now and we'll see what someone who is living the authentic Christian life looks like. Uh, So open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And we see the first test, the moral test. How do we know that we know God? In verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Simple, right? Now what commands are we talking about? I think verse 5 gives us the answer. If anyone obeys his words, it's all the commands that we receive from the Father and from the Son. All of them. In fact, if you say that you know God, and you don't keep God's commands, in verse 4 it says you're a liar without the truth. Not an authentic Christian, but worse, a hypocrite. Someone who claims to know God and is not seeking to live by God's commands is fooling themselves. Now, our works don't save us. Our keeping God's commands do not bring us into a relationship with God. We saw that last week. We are brought into relationship with God when we respond to the gospel, when we place our faith in Jesus and we follow him. So then why is keeping God's commands a test of whether or not we know God? Well, obedience is is a fruit of the gospel. When you plant a mango tree, you expect that the tree is going to have to first grow and then after time it will bear fruit. The tree comes first. Well, our relationship with God is the tree. It comes first. It comes through believing the gospel 
But when we believe the gospel, we will produce fruit. And that fruit is obedience to God's commands. So it's relationship first, then the changed life of obeying God's commands. You see, some experiences change us forever. Uh, Just like the the Neo and Morpheus experience changed Neo forever, when we come into relationship with the God of the universe, our lives are changed forever because we are now in fellowship with God. And we know this to be true, that some experiences change us forever, don't we? Uh, One experience I had that I think changed me forever was when I went and visited Africa. I was doing some ministry there and... Uh, the particular experience that I think really changed my, my perspective and view was I was sitting in a hotel one day watching the TV and there was, there was Christian TV. Was, we're in Kenya. It's a very Christian uh, nation. But the speaker was speaking false teaching. He was claiming to teach from the Bible, but he was not teaching the Bible. And it just made me so angry. And that moment, it gave me such an appreciation for what we have here in Australia with that good Bible teaching, with ministers who are trained to handle the word of truth correctly, the richness that we have in our understanding of the Bible. I'm sure you've probably had experiences like that that have changed your life forever. Or the experience of knowing God through the gospel changes us forever. And the change is very practical. We will obey God's commands. The sign of a spiritual Christian, of an authentic Christian, is obedience. So we can trick ourselves into thinking we're spiritual sometimes. Some people, when they talk, they sound spiritual, they use spiritual words. What they say makes you think that they have a strong spiritual connection with God, but if their lives are not walking as Jesus walked and they're not putting into obedience his commands, well, it's a front, it's a lie. Another way that we can trick ourselves into thinking we're spiritual is by spending time doing spiritual things, meditating, being peaceful, practicing mindfulness. But actually the test of spirituality is not these things. It is obedience. Uh, John Stott said it like this. He said, True love for God is expressed not in sentimental language or mystical experience, but in moral obedience. Or as we see here in John uh, chapter 2, verse 5, This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. See, it's impossible to become a Christian, to be in fellowship with God and not have your life changed so that you desire what God desires and you start living out his commands. And there's an added bonus as we do this. As we obey the command in verse 5, our love for God is being made complete. It's being perfected. Our action of obedience to God increases our love for God. Now, all these works, we don't do them on our own. One of the reasons our life changes so much is that God's Spirit is sent to dwell in us. He starts a divine work in our hearts uh, so that our hearts, our thoughts, our wills, our passions begin to align with God. So this does raise the question for us. Are you seeking to live a life in obedience to God's commands? Now, that doesn't mean that you never sin. 
but it does mean that you're striving to live your life in obedience to God. So obeying God's commands isn't something that happens by accident. It's something we have to be intentional about. Just like when you, you, you're getting ready to go out, you're intentional. You, know, you get clean, you, you put on your, your good gear, you're intentional about when you leave. We need to be intentional about our obedience to Christ. It's not going to just happen. So that's the first test, the moral test. The second test is the social test. This is the test of who and what you love. Now when I read verses 7 and 8, I have to admit I was a bit puzzled. Have a look at verse 7 and 8 and see why. In verse 7, the apostle talks about an old command which they've had from the beginning. And then in verse 8, he writes about a new command, which is seen in the life of Jesus. And the command, the old and the new, based on verse 9, is the command of Jesus to love one another. Uh, We see that there, where it says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. It's old and new. It's old because from the beginning of the church, since this church has come to know God, they've been exhorted to love one another. Uh, You can imagine the, the apostle kind of beating the same drum over and over again, saying, love one another, love one another, love one another. But then it's, always, it's also a new command because there are always new ways to show love to one another. It doesn't get old. Uh, the best analogy I can think of, it's a bit like a version of the song Amazing Grace. Uh, Amazing Grace is a great old hymn, uh, but it's regularly a new song. Uh, I think we're going to sing one at the end of the service. Yeah. Anyway, there's lots of reiterations of Amazing Grace. It's it's regularly a new song in some various way, shape, or form. Uh, At my uh, granddad's funeral, uh, they played the the dolphin singing version of Amazing Grace. Uh, That was interesting. Um, uh, Another guy, I was on beach mission, and he did the uh, Amazing Grace to the tune of the song Cows with Guns. Uh, There's a few laughs there from people who know what that song was. Old but always new. And so we've got this command. Love one another. Yeah, it's old, but it's new because we need to keep doing it and keep thinking of new ways to love each other. And so here's the social test for whether you know God or not. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? We have fellowship with each other through the gospel. But do we love each other? If we don't, look at what John says in verse 9. We're still in darkness. We don't have fellowship. In verse 11, we're stumbling around in the dark. If we don't love Jesus' church or his people for which he died, we're not walking as he walked. And there are many ways that we can love each other as a church. We can love each other by serving each other at church. Serving at rosters at church doesn't sound very glorious. When it, when it comes that week for you to serve, it can be a bit of an inconvenience sometimes. 
But actually, serving on rosters at church is a way that we can love and serve each other. It's like in a, in a family, the way that in our house, our house has chores that we do and it keeps our, our house operating. No one at the time particularly enjoys doing their chores, uh, but, but they do them and it's actually an act of love for the family. It helps keep the family operating. And it's the same with serving at rosters at church. We are a family, a big family, uh, God's family. And one of the ways that we can love each other is actually just by serving to make sure that we as a family function and run. But it can go beyond just loving each other at church. We get to love and serve each other through the week as well. Uh, One of the ways that we can do that is by actually meeting up with our fellow Christians through the week and finding out how they're going. If you're not part of a Bible study or what I call grow groups, I encourage you to join one. That is a fantastic way of loving other people in the church by getting to know them and pray for them and growing together as you read God's word together. But also, you know, just when you see someone at Coles, you can can care for them and ask them how they're going. One of the ways that we can love each other is actually by praying for one another. How often do you pray for other people in church? How often do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? When we think of loving one another, we often think of hospitality. Hospitality is a very practical way of showing love. And it is a great way of loving others, but it's also not the only way of loving others. And here's the thing about loving others. Loving others is often hard. It often requires sacrifice. Uh, I came across this quote this week uh, by um, a previous bishop in Sydney called Al Stewart. He says, Real love means putting other people before yourself. Real love involves caring for the people around you, and that takes effort. It will cost you time, money, sleep, and a thousand other things. It will require discipline, self-control, and self-denial. I think of the way that Jesus loved us. He suffered and he died on the cross. Do you love your church as Jesus loved his church? Have a look around the people that are here this morning. Do you love the people that are in this building with you, worshipping together? And one of the reasons we might fail this social test of love uh, is that we might love the world more than we love Jesus. In verse 15 we read, Do not love the world or anything in the world, If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now there are many things in this world that we can love. Things that we can desire and want and chase after. But but that doesn't make it good for us. Donuts. I love a good donut. They're attractive, they're tasty, you can get them easily enough. They always look good, but they are not good for you, unfortunately. But our world is full of donuts. The donut of the success of career. The donut of the the promise of the ease of life that maybe having more money might bring. The, The donut of the easy satisfaction in fleeting relationships. The donut of... Finding fulfillment in pleasure. 
There are so many things in this world that we can love instead of God. But we're exhorted here not to love the world or anything in the world. We're to love Jesus. We are to live as Jesus lived. To love as Jesus loved. And not love the things of the world. And one of the keys to doing this, and it's really practical actually, it's in verse 17 there, it says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The way that we can make sure that we're not loving the world is to remember that the world that we are living in is temporary. The things around us will one day be gone. Our world can offer us everything until it can't anymore because it's going to pass away. But what will not pass away is eternal life, is if we do the will of God, we will live forever. And so we are to love God's people and not the world. Now, before we move on to the third test, John wants to remind his followers that they are following the truth. And then he affirms that this church are faithful, that they they do know God. In, uh, In verse 12, they've been forgiven on account of Jesus. And in verse 13, they know Jesus and overcome the evil one. Uh, The the apostle is not writing this letter as a rebuke to the church, but he's writing this letter so that they would be confident in the gospel, that they would be confident to know that they are in fellowship with God, that the false teachers that we're going to look at in a moment that are penetrating their midst and maybe telling them that it doesn't matter how they live and maybe telling them that they don't have to love uh, the church and maybe telling them that, that loving the world is fine. Or these false teachers who are coming in and saying that they don't have enough knowledge, they need more knowledge, they need another special knowledge. But John is saying, no, you guys, you're fine. You you are in fellowship with God because you have believed the gospel. He is confident that they are loving others. He is confident that they are obeying God's commands. And what I see in our church is something similar. I see a group of people who love God, who love Jesus, who are seeking to live his way in his world, who are seeking to love one another. And so in the same way that uh, John is encouraging this church, uh, we too can be encouraged. Uh, Not only can we be encouraged because we have these things, but we can be encouraged because we are in fellowship with the God of the Father, our Heavenly Father, through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Uh, So we've looked at the moral test, we've looked at the social test for whether we know God, and the third test is the doctrinal test. What we believe about God and what we believe about Jesus matters. We don't get to just pick and choose what we believe about Jesus. But in this church, in 1 John, some people were doing just that. In verse 18 it says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. The last hour is referring to the fact that Jesus is due to return at any moment. It's no less true now than it was in the first century. We are living in the last hour. Jesus could return at any moment. And this is how we know that we're living in the last hour, is that there are many antichrists have come. There have been many people come and share a false gospel and distort the message of Jesus. Uh, They're called antichrists. 
because they are against Jesus. And these false teachers, they might, they might have started off with the church, but they've, they've now left the church. Maybe they've been asked to leave. Maybe they left of their own uh, free will. We don't know. We're not told. But we're told in verse 19 that they did not really belong to us. Because if they belonged, they would have stayed with the church. They would have stayed with the fellowship, loving the church, obeying God's commands. And what was the issue? Well, here in verse 22, they're denying that Jesus is the Christ. But John is confident that this church knows the truth. And he's confident because in verse 20, they have the anointing, uh, which is a way of speaking about the Holy Spirit which confirms in them the truth of the gospel. They're not missing out. There is not some special knowledge of Jesus and salvation which has been kept back from them. But there are people in the church denying that Jesus is the eternal son of the Father. Verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. They're teaching lies distorting truth, opposed to Christ. See, to be in relationship with God, you have to acknowledge his eternal son. Verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. You cannot have one without the other. Uh, Some who claim to know God but do not acknowledge Jesus is the eternal son do not actually know God. And this is important. Because there are preachers today preaching to large congregations who by their very teaching are denying the distinction between God the Father and God the Son. There are some popular Christian songs that deny the distinction between God the Father and God the Son. But if we have responded to the gospel, we know the truth and the Spirit confirms this truth in us. And so John encourages us, he encouraged us in chapter 1 to hold on to the message he proclaimed about the historical Jesus, the apostolic message. That is the message that saves and brings us into fellowship with God. There's a hymn, uh, you would have likely heard of it if you've been around for a little while, it's called the, the Old, Old Story, and it's referring to the old, old story of the gospel. That is what we need to hang on to. Our world likes new ideas. Uh, Like the the people in Athens, the philosophers of the day sought out new ideas. Well, our our world likes new. We like the idea of a new knowledge that will make following Jesus easier. We like the idea of something that we haven't found yet that will make following Jesus less sacrificial or more palatable. But we need to hold on to the message of the gospel for it is the truth. This church in the first century had the truth about Jesus proclaimed to them by the apostles. And they have the Spirit of God, and so they can know that it's true. Verse 27, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just is just as has taught you, remain in him. See, the Spirit teaching us is not a reason for us to go out on our own and start creating our own doctrines. 
The Holy Spirit dwells in us, teaching us, yes. Confirms the truth about Jesus in us, yes. But he won't do that apart from his inspired, spirit-breathed word which he has given to us in the Bible. The Spirit also gives us teachers and faith communities. The design was not an individual, you have the Spirit of God, you can go off and be a Christian by yourself. The design was, we are given the Spirit of God, we're brought into fellowship with one another, we have his Bible, and we are to to learn from each other. The Spirit teaches us, yes. Affirms his truth in us, yes. But he also does it within the other Spirit-inspired means that he has given us to learn. And this is important, actually, for this little community because they've got false teachers among them. False teachers who are trying to take them away from the gospel. And so John says, don't be led astray by them. You know the truth. You know the old story of the gospel. Hold on to it. The spirit that dwells in us and among us as a fellowship will confirm to us the reality that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God. It's why it's only by the Spirit we can call Jesus Lord. Now, how is this a doctrinal test? Well, the answer is is that if we claim to know God, we will also say that we know his Son. We will acknowledge him. We won't deny him. Now, there's a few implications of this doctrinal test that it's worth fleshing out. And the first one is, is be cautious of Christian teaching that sounds new. If you're a new Christian, this might be harder for you to work out. But that's why it's important that we spend time getting to know our Bibles, getting to know God's Spirit-inspired Word to us. The the study of the Bible at the moment, I I wouldn't say it's the most popular thing uh, that people are doing, but as God's people, with His Spirit, we need to be people who study His Word. Uh, There are some Great courses that you can do, online courses, where you can study God's word. You can get to know it, get to know it at a deeper level uh, to make sure that you're not going to be led astray. But the point is, is that if, some, if there is a new teaching, a Christian teaching that for, for some reason no one has come up with in the previous 2,000 years, of Christianity, that really should be raising alarm bells for us. We need to ask questions and go, actually, is this true? Uh, Then the next implication of this is we need to be cautious of Christian teaching that minimizes Jesus but instead emphasizes the Spirit because the Holy Spirit will lead us to confess that Jesus is the Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Christ. Anyone who speaks more about the Spirit of God than Jesus, his Son, well, that should raise questions for us. It doesn't necessarily mean that what they're saying is wrong, but it should at least cause us to stop and ask a question. Because the way that God has revealed himself to us is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son serves the Father, and the Spirit serves the Son and the Father. And so any 
any teaching about the Spirit should be pointing us to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Spirit applies to our lives everything that Jesus has won for us on the cross. The final implication is here is be confident of the good old story of the gospel. Know that you don't need anything more than what we've been given in the scriptures. There is no new special revelation that we need. We have it all right here. It is the truth that brings eternal life. It is the truth that brings us into fellowship with God. So how do we know that we know God? Well, there's the fruit. There's the moral fruit. We will obey God's commands. There's the social fruit. We will love one another. And there's the doctrinal fruit. We will confess that Jesus is the Christ. And so we can be encouraged with those three things, that we do know the truth and that we do have eternal life. Let's thank God for that. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the God who has revealed yourself to us, that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, God in the flesh, uh, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have fellowship with you, so that we can be brought into eternal life. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you sent your Spirit to dwell in us, uh, to confirm in us this knowledge of truth, that we are in fellowship with you through the gospel of Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you will help us to be people who are always striving uh, to obey your commands and to love one another and to be people who hold on to the truth, uh, not being led astray uh, by those who would seek to teach us otherwise. And we pray this in Jesus' name.